This is What's In with Olaplex. I'm your host, Danielle Frank. Together, we break down all things beauty, health, and wellness and discuss not just what's out, but also what's in. Today, I am joined by my friend and incredibly talented celebrity curl specialist, Kristen Brown, to entangle what's out and what's in with textured hair. We talk about curly hair shame, how to embrace your natural texture, and why hair care is vitally important. Kristen co-owns Full Spiral Salon in Santa Barbara, California, where she helps clients fall in love with their curls, waves, and natural hair. Kristen has worked with celebrities such as Yara Shahidi and travels the country spreading the message, embrace your curls. And if you want to stay on trend, follow us at What's In Podcast on social media and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Kristen, thank you for coming on today. Hello, Danielle. How are you? Good to see you. It's a beautiful day. And I am curious, is it just me or has there been a wonderful resurgence of people really embracing the texture of their hair. Absolutely. No, it's definitely not just you. It's not just a trend, which that makes me the most excited. Like this is, this is the wave. This is the revolution. So you're absolutely right. I absolutely love it. I mean, when it comes to textured hair, I'm really curious, like what was your relationship with that when you were younger and growing up? Wow. Okay. So how much time do we have, Danielle? <laughs> I mean, we got some time. I got my water. Let, we got let's some time. Talk. I have a little smoothie. Let's <laughs> let's have a kiki. Um, so growing up, I'm from Oakland, California. So growing up, even though there was a big, I mean, this was the home of, you know, Black Panther Party, big afros, big revolution, which was incredible. However, you know, I was born in 1983, so I wasn't able to see as much of that representation in elementary school. This was the wave of people straightening their hair and chemical relaxers. And so I didn't really see locks and natural texture and big hair and everyone wearing their hair out as much as I would have loved to growing up. And so it took me until I was literally 18 years old for me to do a big chop and cut off all my hair. And that's when I knew that I had the texture that I have today. Otherwise, outside of that, I thought it was just baby hair. I thought, oh, that was my hair when I was little. And so it took a really big radical change like that for me to discover my own texture. Well, as a person that is an absolute texture expert, do you feel that that experience really influenced the direction of your career? Because I mean, you could have gone any pathway. You're a brilliant hairdresser. Thank you. I appreciate that. And and I was going in a different pathway. That That's the, the plot twist right there was that it was, mm. I absolutely feel that me chopping off all of my hair or my, my wife, actually, she did it. She I'll, I'll blame her. She was the one who chopped it all off in my bathroom at home. And um, it definitely impacted every single thing that I do in my career today. So what were some of the go-to styling habits that you had when you were growing up that oh like, because oh there are so many and, and I feel, feel yeah. like there's so many different ways that people were trying to embrace their texture or trying to dissuade from it. Um, what were some of your go-to methods? 
Okay, so I definitely had a flip. Okay, so this was giving it, <laughs> it's everything that you would imagine. My hair was, I think, my eighth grade graduation picture. You know, I had like the French manicure, like that was in then, like very oh much my in, gosh, yes. <laughs> like long nails. Um, and then I had like this press and flip. You know, my aunt she actually went to cosmetology school, and um, so I had the flip going on. I definitely was in braids a lot. Um, just because it was convenient for my parents. But I don't know if you remember this. Whew. This was like a half up, half down situation. And then you brought your scrunchie all the way to the very tip of your hair to make it seem like you had length that really wasn't there. And then like a little a little swoop in the front. Maybe that was just like black girls in in my area, but it was it was lit. I mean, it sounds adorable. <laughs> We're going to have to get pictures. Was- We're going to have to get pictures. Okay, okay. <laughs> I will dig through the archives. I will lay on that sword. <laughs> I, I'm I'm good with that. I just feel like <laughs> throughout the years, there's been quite a few different manifestations when it comes to what to do about textured hair. I look mm. at my niece who has such intensive curly hair. Mm. And I got to say, as someone that had straight hair when she was younger, and then also her mom as well, it was always really difficult to kind of figure out what was the best way to protect her hair. She would get all the little kinks in the back of her nape, and it always was a struggle. I'm curious, what are the practices and the misconceptions that you found with your clients? Because I found there were a lot within our own family. I think one of the biggest things that I definitely grew up with was the need to use oil. Like that was one of the biggest things that I think that we all, we all knew. You can go to anyone's house, any black person's house, and there was going to be some kind of oil that was in their cupboard of potions. And I think one of the things that we need to be reminded of is, yes, we do have like less hair follicles and somebody with straight hair. So our scalp does get drier. Our hair does get drier. But this doesn't mean that we go out and we, you know, take something like petroleum or something that's highly mineral, you know, mineral based, and we use it all over our whole hair. Um, I think for us, a lot of times we're looking for that softness. We're looking for that touchability. We're looking for that shine. And a lot of that is going to come from using incredible products that have the hydration and moisture built into it. So I think that's one of the biggest misconceptions that even though our grandmothers and our aunts and our parents, we used it and it was like an iconic staple, you know, in our house, we just have evolved so much more in the hair care industry where we don't need to rely on something that is quite literally just going to clog up our follicles and not give us what we're looking for. It is funny because not saying that a lot of the methodologies that were used previously by our grandparents and great-grandparents were not valid in some ways, You're right. I mean, technology has changed so much. There are so many different things that are going on that will make things a lot easier for us without having all the like side effects that come along with it. Exactly. And and that's such a great point is like, then we had to use what we could, you know, we did our best. And that is, like you said, there's no shame on anyone. Like we took what we could get and we did wonders with it. And, oh, yeah. you know, like now it's just, we, we have to continue to push that note of education. Can we bring this up to date? And with bringing it up to date, can it still give us the benefits maybe that we're looking for? Like you said, and without the side effects. So with everything in your growth of your career, what kind of practices have you switched over as you have been taking care of your own hair? 
I think one of the main things is when my hair was longer. Uh, so this is about four years ago. My hair was literally like on my shoulders. I found myself holding on to length for other people. People would look at my hair and they're like, oh my gosh, you have like these tighter coils. You're giving people with natural textures hope that our hair can reach that length. I then became so wrapped up on keeping my hair long, not for myself, but for other people. This is such a real statement. Yes. Yeah. I mean, I could sit here and point out all the tips and the tricks, which we can do that. And I think the state of mind, you know, the mindfulness around it is something that we really need to look at. Like when you're holding on to length, are you doing it because you don't want to cut your hair? Are you doing it because you're doing it for somebody else? Did a parent of yours tell you that you look more beautiful with long hair? There's so much hair trauma wrapped around natural textures. And I'm constantly trying to unpack that in my own life and also in the lives of my clients and my guests. And so that's one of the big ones that I would say that people don't typically think about, but it's it has a lot to do with where your mindset is around your hair and unpacking that. It's so funny. That is such a universal theme with women for sure, yeah. because I have to say throughout my life, I had grown my hair really long. And I always found when I was at an interesting point in my life where I felt like I was trying to reclaim myself, I cut all my hair off, mm. like just cut it all off. And then you get the pressure from the different people in your life. Oh, but you look so pretty with your hair long or, oh, you know, whatever. And you start growing it out and then you realize, I don't feel comfortable like this. Yeah. But also I would imagine in all honesty, when you have texture, if you have curls and you're not in a place to really be able to maintain, it's a lot of work to be able to maintain good, healthy, curly hair. I imagine having that freedom to be able to cut it off, but feeling like you have to hold on simply because everybody is telling you to. That's a really hard one. It was it was something that like when I actually look back at pictures, I would do this like fake out like on Instagram. Like I don't even think it would be like April Fool's. Like I would have like, you know, some clippers in my hand and I'd be like, hey guys, should I? Like trying to get a rise out of people who are, you know, supporting me. And I look back at the first time I did it, and it was seven years before I actually even cut my hair. So for seven years, I was holding on to this false sense of security, which was my own hair, and all of the history along with it, and the history of others, and the history of my ancestors, and just everything wrapped into this moment of tempting to achieve the unthinkable. And when I did it, it was just such this liberating moment of, I'm doing this for me. I poured, you know, little libation for myself. I had good music on, you know, and I recorded it and I turned it into a ritual of me reclaiming my own body for the first time in my life, especially post baby. Um, and so it was a, it was a big deal. And I think it, it's not only for, you know, for women, like I have people of all genders who have this, they're, personality and their identity wrapped into their hair. And when somebody looks at their hair, they automatically say the thing, you know, whether they think it's good or bad. You know, the terminology around having curly hair where somebody's like, oh my gosh, your hair is so crazy. I love it. Or, oh my, wow. Like that much take you forever. Does it, is it soft? Or it's a bunch of little things that happen with our hair that people may not consider as like microaggressions. And we just store them into our bodies somehow that we're just wow. like, man, like, am I wearing my hair for me now or am I wearing it for somebody else? Uh, when you walk down the street and, you know, people want to stop and 
they instantly are like, oh my gosh, can I? And they're, you see their hand already coming. They're coming for you, you know? And it's, it becomes this thing that your hair somehow is for the public and rarely is it for yourself. So it's, it's a big deal. Wow. Wow. Thank you for breaking that down because yeah. that is a really, I never even saw it in that perspective. Yeah. Well, Kristen, on that note, I want to dive into what's out with textured hair. So I've noticed on your channel that when you're talking about natural hair, it does not necessarily mean unstyled or uncolored. Can you kind of dive into a little bit about that? So for me, when it comes to natural textures, right, because I feel like everyone, I've even had people tell me that my hair is no longer considered natural because I dye my hair blue. And I'm like, wait, what? <laughs> that, that, that Make that make sense. Um, and I get it. Like, there's a whole lot of different categories, even under the natural texture realm, that people look at a natural texture and there's all these boxes that we have to check. There's all these, well, technically, are you still natural because you're not using organic products or because... So there's a whole other, like, sub... Culture. It sounds like a lot of policing. It's a lot of policing sometimes. <laughs> it's a lot. And it's a lot to keep in the forefront of your mind constantly. But I think when I have people come into my salon, my main focus is for them to come in and to see their hair in its natural state for the first time ever. And the amount of clients that I have who have never seen their hair worn in a wash and go, which is what we call it in the natural hair community, it's simply when you do a shampoo, you condition you apply your styling products and then you diffuse or you put them under the dryer and you see their hair in their natural texture without manipulation, without a twist out, a braid out, flat twist, nothing like that. I think all those textures and all those manipulated styles are absolutely gorgeous. And my goal is for people to see what their hair can do just on its own. Because I think for years we have been told to do this with your hair, force it to do this, make it look presentable here and put it under something and I think we've thrived as a culture because of that. And I want to start to peel that back a little bit and just say, hey, how can we just how can we just see who you are naturally? So whether that comes to them wearing it in its natural style, and then eventually if they decide, you know what, I am loving my texture. Let's do some highlights. Okay, awesome. Bet. Let's do it. And I think there's just so much that we can just take away from just seeing the person in their authentic expression. This is fascinating because when I think of natural texture, I'm always thinking of having to manipulate the texture and having to like do different things in order to get that natural texture look, I guess you would call it. Mm -hmm. Now, in, in retrospect, I'm thinking, wow, I didn't really look at it in the perspective of like, yeah, what happens when you just air dry it or, right. or put it under a hood and be able to really bring out that texture. Right. I think that the fear in doing that is because of certain experiences that might've not have been as successful. What is your recommendation with that? So there's, there's two routes, right? So I'm going to recommend for the pro and I'm going to recommend also for the non-pro because I think that's important. Yeah. For the professional, I think it is really taking to heart that you're not going to have the same head of hair every single day, right? And we and we forget that. And so that way we go to our next person, to our next guest, and we still have that, oh no, this reminds me of 
back in 2008 when I did that one, <laughs> when I did that one wash and go that didn't turn out. <laughs> and so we're, we're scarred by that. And we carry that same story and that same narrative into this new person. And so then we try to say, I'm not going back there again. Let me manipulate the hell out of it. So that way I have a great turnout and this person walk, but we're not giving that person the opportunity of them seeing their hair and its natural expression. And so I think for the pro, it is not being afraid to fail. And I think that's one of our biggest, you know, hallmarks is that we we learn the most from our failures. We don't learn much from knocking it out of the park all the time. And I have to remind myself of that too, right? There is a fear-laden thing on that though, mm. when you are having a paying customer yes. that's coming to your chair with a certain expectation. Right. And yeah, you're that's why you're sitting there like, I know how to manipulate this. So right. let me just go into that ethos, I guess you say, like, right. this is my job. I manipulate it. I, this is what I do. But I love this concept of just allowing it to be. Totally. And what's fascinating to me is I think that through manipulation, we are constantly trying to control. We're trying to control the outcome. We're trying to control the way that the hair should look. I'm the pro. You're paying me. I have full control over the situation. I know what I'm doing. And that's the beauty of natural textures is natural texture tells us what to do. It tells us how it's going to show up in the day. It tells us, hey, today I want to be a little bit more on the frizzy side. Can you handle that? And so it's it's a constant reminder of just being like, how can I listen? How can I listen to what the hair needs? How can I speak the language of natural texture versus me being in my, my you know, self-righteousness and saying like, all right, yeah, I got this. And natural texture is like, you got this, watch this, hits you with the, hits you with the reverse <laughs> card, you know, like the Uno, like it's, it's just, it really, it's a constant reminder of, hey, I can change every day and how can I become a better artist by changing with it? So that, that's I the professional that. side. And I think that also applies to the consumer side as well, to our non-pros as I'm constantly telling my guests, like, don't be afraid of your hair looking different every day. I think there's this narrative that you have to have every single curl on your head needs to look the same. Polished. Every single curl it has to right, be polished. polished. It needs to be dialed in. There could be no frizz. Um, nothing can be messy or, you know, like extra kinky curly. Like I think we have to be reminded that depending on where you live, depending on the humidity, the weather, the season, medication, your hormones, all these things that we're not taking into account make a huge difference and have a huge impact on your hair. So don't be afraid to lean into the ebb and flow of what your hair wants to do. So getting back to what you were saying about the listening, because that yeah. kind of hit me because I am a firm believer in a dang good consultation. Yeah. This is where I'm bridging the gap right here between the professional and the consumer, mm. right? Or the client is that, yes, listen to the hair. Love that. Number one. But here's the thing is that the client often wants that polished, often wants that finished look. They sure. want that extra. So how do you bridge that gap? I mean, where do you go with that? Because if you're listening, if they're listening, they're hearing what they want and they're trying to accomplish that for them. But sometimes that's a very worked or overworked kind of methodology. Sure. I think for me, it it's the starting point. So what I'll tell someone to do is to show up doing their best version of a wash and go. Show up Ooh. in your best version of, of whatever you want to do. And then I also realize in me telling them that because my initial email, you know, would be like, hey, you know, you're going to arrive in your best wash and go 
minimal product, no buns, no twist outs, no ponytails, all these things. And then I realized, again, I was trying to control the situation so that way I I got a great outcome, right? So I then had to just let that go and tell people to show up however they want because I need to respect their lifestyle at, at home, outside of myself, right? That was the first starting point. Then I would have them show me a picture of what their hair looks like when they feel like it was their best hair day, the best job that they did, or their hair on a day where they were just like, this was an epic fail. And that just gives (laughs) us like a baseline to see like, okay, so what did you like about this? Because I think we can all be artists. We can all look at at a painting or, you know, I went to a figure drawing class like recently in New York and we had a live model and... We all, you know, drew, you know, the model in front of us. We're all seeing the same person, but everyone's outcome was completely different. And I think that's something that we need to be reminded of when we're looking at a picture, especially somebody brings you in a picture of a celebrity. They're like, I want my hair like this. Do it mm-hmm. like like this. And I'm like, love, you do know that was a photo shoot, right? You do know that's a wig, right? You do, you know, you have to start like breaking it down and having them see what you see. And so with that, one of the things that, I really try to help people understand is this is what your texture is going to do. Here's how we're going to enhance what you have because I'm unable to give you what this person has because that's that person. You're not this person. So let's see what we can, you know, do you like a little crunch to your hair? Do you love it when there's a little bit of frizz? Are you team volume or are you team definition? And I really try to like grab the unique qualities of what they like maybe in a picture or what they could potentially like on themselves and then bring that to life. And I think as long as you have that as a starting point with people, then you can always like, not, you know, the whole like uh, under promise, oversell kind of thing, but it's also like, I want to give them a baseline, take pictures and that way, three months, four months, five months down the road, we come back and we're like, oh my gosh, look at your hair. Look at your homework that you've been doing. Look at the way that your hair looks now. And that way they just, you let them know that it's a journey and it's not necessarily always going to happen overnight. So I want to segue that into another thing that I think is what's out is the shame that comes along with embracing your texture. Because much like you were saying, exploring your natural texture and really embracing the frizz, embracing what it naturally wants to do is not something to be shaming someone for. Oh, wow. Yeah, the shame aspect. It's It comes from all different directions, right? The life cycle of shame is you have a four-year-old right? Who is getting their hair done maybe by their aunt or, you know, they go to a salon and they sit down and the first thing they hear is, oh my gosh, you have all this hair. Oh, okay. This is going to cost extra. So-and-so, can you come over here? Come look at all this, this, this hair this child has. And this four-year-old, this little impressionable little tender sponge is just getting hit with all of these. You have too much hair. Oh my gosh, this is going to take forever the huffing and puffing that may be associated with that. And then they become a little bit older. They continue to hear how much hair they have every time they go to a salon or to their parents, you know, their their friend's house or whatever. Then it goes into, I mean, kids do insane stuff. They'll stick things inside of people's hairs, knowing that they're not going to notice it. Like sitting behind someone, they'll take pencils and kind of stick things in and And it's that constant motion of shame. So when this person sees themselves in the mirror, all they're seeing is the public humiliation, right? That typically is associated with it. Then they turn 25 or they become old enough to come and and they sit in my chair. And the first thing they do is, I'm just like, oh my gosh, I love how much hair you have. 
And the first thing that comes out of their mouths always is, I'm sorry. They're apologizing. And it's that whole life cycle of shame they've had before me that now I'm having to unpack. And I, I take pride in that because I know, because that was also my lived experience. And so it becomes them apologizing for something that grows naturally out of their head. And it's making them realize that, hey, this has nothing, your, your shame has nothing to do with you. You are not your shame. And so it's just constant. And so I feel like this natural hair revolution that's happening is we're seeing more expression. I just went to Curlfest in New York um, about a week and a half ago. And that was amazing to see everyone just in their joy. No one was in their shame. No one was shoulders up to their ears. Everyone was fully in their, their lion mode of expression. And so I think that we're reclaiming the shame that we had. We are taking it up and now we're alchemizing it and transmuting it into something else that looks like, you know, everyone's chest is a little bit bigger because we're standing tall in what we have that does grow naturally out of our heads and we no longer have to apologize for that. And I think back to what you were saying in the beginning, how, yes, we're talking about how it's in to really embrace your texture, but even when it comes to what's out, we should not be blindly believing in these trends. We shouldn't be blindly mm. following all these different myths and trends that have come up over the years. Certainly now with social media, that really is perpetuating a lot of the shame because we're feeling as though we have to conform to something. Right. That's right. And I feel like that's one of the things that, you know, when people do bring in a picture or they bring in their favorite influencer, right? They bring in their favorite influencer. Oh my gosh, this person's hair. I love their hair. I only use products because th this person uses all of these products. So I only use the products because of this favorite person. And on one hand, I'm sure it's so flattering and such a compliment because I do, you know, whether I know a lot of those people or not, it's also really interesting to know those same influencers offline where they have their own hangups about their hair. They have their own like shame wrapped around. So it's, it's universal in the natural hair community. It's not like this, this one person being a monolith where they're just like, I have the perfect hair. I love my hair every day. I never feel shame. I have this bulletproof vest on that like, and it's the same. And I think that we just, us as a culture have not fully had the opportunity or the safe space to unpack consistently every day what we carry around. And so we, we glorify it on social media because it looks good. It paints a beautiful story. And we still need to have that safe space so that way we can really talk about the things that maybe hurt us a lot growing up. And then and then we can go ahead and step into our joy. So you got to have the the dark in order to step into the light. Am I right, Danielle? Well, let's, let's step into that light. Let's, let's step it. into that light, let's Kristen. Let's do it. Let's step into what's in. Like, what is the important things that you think are in right now when it comes to textured hair? All right, so... I'm a big skincare person. Like I, I always prided myself on having like pretty good skin. And so I feel like it's now my due diligence to take care of that skin, right? And so I feel that there is this huge motion of people who are really looking for antioxidants when it comes to hair care. And so we're kind of doing the same mindfulness that we have around skincare and we're putting that into hair care now. So we're seeing a lot of, like, I know for me, like, having antioxidant-rich products in our hair is really, really great. Um, we're now turning to herbalism a lot. 
So if there's any like specific herbs that we want to find in our hair care, we're looking for those type of measures now. So I love seeing that wave instead of, you know, maybe it's a, it's a, a haircut. I know the wolf cut went crazy like last summer, <laughs> you know. Um, you know, we have the the big money piece. I started doing that like on my curly clients because they felt like they couldn't have a curly money piece. And so I was like, I'm doing this. Or like big color blocking. Like I did that on my, uh, my partner's hair. And, you know, she's always been blonde. And so we decided to reverse it. And so I did a hyper blonde piece in front and made everything else like kind of copper. That was fun. And so I think there's this edge around naturals who are really getting into bold color, who are really peeling away. Like we talked about earlier, like you're not natural if you color your hair. I think a lot of that is starting to fall away now. I think people are like, look, I got my hair to a point of growing it out for four years and taking care of it for four years to now being able to actually put color in my hair or to bleach or to highlight or whatever. So I think there's that wave of people feeling really empowered by now being able to color their hair. That's that's a big trend too. I think also when you think about it, when I think natural, I think natural texture, sure. right? I'm not right. necessarily thinking about the color. And I do understand, obviously, with hair color, with a lot of things we do, we could funk around a little bit <laughs> with the texture. But the thing is, is that, like you're saying now with a lot of the different things that are out there for your hair health, that that is more controlled now. We mm -hmm. can still keep to that natural texture. So I think that is like an incredible, like you were saying, the resource of all the great technology that's out there that we can implement so we can retain that natural texture yeah. and be able to use chemicals as well to play around with our hair color and have fun because we like doing that. That's fun. Absolutely. We want to have a good time. Naturals, naturals deserve to have a good time. We deserve to have color. We deserve to have, you know, if you want to have like a pop of red underneath that is only for you, go off, like have a good time. And I think now we're kind of starting to get out of those, you know, like you said earlier, those tight restrictions of what we consider to be natural. You know, at first there were certain methods that you had to abide by. You know, you couldn't use silicones, you couldn't use oils, you couldn't use, you know, everything had to be sulfate free, like all these things that I think, yeah, we still benefit from. And how can we let go of the reins a little bit? How can we live our lives? Like we just want to live our damn lives and have a good time doing it and look good in the process. So yes. And the funny thing is, is the whole thing with the silicone and everything like that, that was a trend that just kind of stuck around. <laughs> like sure. silicones can be very beneficial. For sure. And I've actually had that conversation with a couple people, like not all, I think a lot of us grew up with, I don't want to drop the name of the, the product that we used growing up, but it was in a little serum bottle. It looked mm -hmm. like, you know, it, I definitely used it on my hair because my hair was straightened at the time. And I thought this was going to give me the shine that everyone, you know, my blonde hair, blue eyed friends had. So I'm going to go ahead and use this serum. And if I had excess left over, I was using it on my ashy knees and my legs before school. <laughs> like it was, I was, it was multi-purpose, you know, but my point to that is I would tell people that not all silicones are created the same. You know, again, we talk about the evolution of products that we used to use that our moms and our grandmas used back in the day that did serve a purpose then. Well, sometimes those same silicones, if you will, they're not, you do have high quality silicones. Now you have products that really do rinse clean from the hair. And so we can bend those rules. I like to know the rules mm -hmm. so that way I can break them. 
Let me tell you, the day that I started learning about polymer chemistry and like what is done mm. to be able to change the molecular weight of this, that, and that, and to make that water soluble, I was like, yes. this is so cool. I love geeking out like that. But it's not really generally known out there. Right, right. But I want to get to the next thing because it's something I've been thinking about because we've been talking about restriction because mm. that's what it's all about. We're being restricted from doing what we want to just embrace and go out there. And what I'm seeing a lot that's trending, and it's even last year, I think of the wolf cut in some ways because it was expansive in many ways. I am seeing expansive hair. And I'm not talking like 80s hair. I'm talking people just embracing the bigness, the gorgeousness of it's in your face and not restrictive. Yeah. I mean, have you ever seen the same thing? Oh my gosh, yes. And it's been, I think it has a lot to do with I mean, you know, we have the Crown Act, right? The Crown yes. Act, which we are actively trying to push and make sure that this is just like, not only just like, oh, across a couple states, like this needs to be countrywide. And I really feel that with people stepping into the bigness of their hair, the actual like magnitude of them being able to walk into a place and like suck all the air out of the room because that says so much about like their expression is really, really powerful. You know, my, my wife, for example, she's a tall five, nine, five, 10. She has big hair. And if she wears like a platform or like a high heel or anything like that, like she's definitely like heads are turning, no doubt. And there's moments where she'll even kind of want to like shrink herself. She's like, damn, am I too tall? tonight. You know, and I, and I tell people all the time, like, I wish that I was taller. Like if I had her height, I know that I would be a different energy because like, like that, that type of height is just like amazing. Like I'm, I I'm keep a- kidding around. Like I wish my sister's six foot two. Ah, so yeah. I sit there and I'm like, I wish I was like four inches taller. Right. Cause I'm like five, eight, four inches taller or four inches shorter. Cause I either want to be like, <laughs> Making a grand entrance or you could fit me in your pocket. See, that's (laughs) Danielle, we were made this high. Like I'm I'm five, six and three quarters. I'll hold on to that three quarters because our energies are so big, right? And so like, can you imagine us taller? Yeah, we would be a problem. We would be problematic. (laughs) We would we would just be doing too much. But people walking into a room and wearing their hair as big and as I mean, we have like natural texture extensions now. You know, we have natural wigs now where you can have all that hair that you want. We have the Beyonce's, we have the Jill Scott's, we have the, you know, the Megan the Stallions who will go on stage and will command that same energy. So why can't we be off stage and not famous and have that same type of expression happening? And I think a lot of us, I honestly thank a lot of those, those kings and queens who are out there living their best celebrity life because it gives us the roadmap to be able to be like, you know what? I'm going to see if I can cop a wig that's probably not that expensive. It's probably not Cardi B prices, but I'm going to go ahead and bring that, you know, into my own expression. And it's giving everyone this energy of just being like out and loud and proud and just, just showing off. I love the peacocking that's happening these days. I love it. I think it's absolutely gorgeous. I mean, it goes to me right down to a lot of things that I'm seeing in society as a whole of Mm. women really deciding to take up space. Thank you. Yes. It is so important for us to do that. And in a weird way, the 
bigness of hair is kind of like that. I love it's it. It's perfect. You know, for us, for years, we were told that our hair was a distraction. In black and brown communities, you know, our hair was a distraction. Put it away. You know, d- just show your face. And um, that's when the whole, we, we would have to put our hair literally under wraps, mm. you know. And then, plot twist, we made wraps look cool. We made wraps <laughs> look beautiful. <laughs> like of jokes course. on you, right? Yeah, like- Thought you had us, you know, again, hit you with the Uno reverse card, you know, and it's like, (laughs) so it's now we're able to have these options. And I think making it as big as possible is definitely a way of us proclaiming like what we have. Well, bottom line, Hmm. we're kicking that shame to the curb. Done. And we're embracing the hairstyles that make us feel like absolutely fabulous. And the curlier, the bigger, the more natural is really where we want to go. Absolutely. That's the direction. That's the motion. Kristen, thank you so much for coming on. I love talking to you. You are the best. Like, I feel like all interviews should happen with you. Like, you should just be interviewing everybody. Like, you make it so easy and you're so um, easy to talk to. So I, I really appreciate you having me on. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoy the show, don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. I'm your host, Danielle Frank. What's In With Olaplex is produced in partnership with Olaplex and Frequency Media. Lizzie Stewart is our producer. Emily Krumberger is our associate producer. Ina Garkusha is our supervising producer. And Michelle Quarry is our executive producer. These episodes are recorded by Dante Hodge and mixed by Matthew Ernest Filler and Claire Bidigari Curtis. Development and strategy by Jessica Olivier, Sara Naz Jababayi, and Sarah Adams. 